Welcome to the 2015 Faith Forward podcast series. The following presentation was recorded live at the 2015 Faith Forward gathering, April 20th through 23rd at St. James Cathedral in Chicago. During these four days, hundreds of conversation partners from around the world and spanning dozens of denominational traditions gathered to equip, resource, and inspire one another toward innovative theology and practice in ministry with children and youth. This podcast episode features Daniel White Hodges' presentation at this gathering, which he titled, Between God and Kanye, Creating Relationships with Youth in a Post-Civil Rights Era. You know, here's the thing. Um, I've been doing in and around youth work for two decades now, and part of, uh, part of the things that we want to do at North Park and through the Center for Youth Ministry Studies um, is to really challenge students to think differently uh, about the world that we're in and that we're entering, particularly over the next 10 years, uh, coming in the next 10 years. Um, this, is, this is really you know, the 20th century, the 20, in the early 21st century, is really the unexpected century uh, for Christianity. It's really like, man, what the heck happened? Like, what, what, what went on? Like, I mean, this is the good night. Uh, and we are not, as they say, uh, in Kansas anymore, theologically. Uh, we live at the crossroads where people are questioning everything. We live at a time when people are, in essence, questioning elders and leaders who were once thought of as singularized representations of a people group, somebody like a Dr. Martin Luther King or a Reverend Jesse Jackson, and even those moguls are questioned by this generation. Thoughts and ideas and schools of thought that were once thought of to be sacred and kind of, you don't mess with that, are actually being deconstructed uh, in this generation. And at the heart of this, I would make the argument, and I know I'm a little biased on this, is the culture called hip-hop that is really leading a large part of this movement. For those of you who don't know anything about it, you saw parts of that just a few minutes ago in this excellent display of, of spoken word. I'm glad I didn't have to follow that. You know what I'm saying? I got, at least got to prep up from that. That's, that's a good night. The reality of it is, though, is that hip-hop is everywhere. And you say, well, Dan, you know, my kids don't uh, really listen to hip-hop. <laughs> you know, it's uh, DC talk. Well, first of all, if you're still on DC talk, you need to just walk out them doors and take your butt on down the side of there, all right? Because here's the thing. Hip-hop is everywhere. You can't go anywhere without it. And you got the extreme commercialized versions of hip-hop, people just wanting to make money for you know, singing songs like Doodoo on a Stick, right? You know, Doodoo on a Stick can be a song in the commercialized version, right? Y'all know that, right? We got some horrible artists out there. But that is not the sum total of what hip-hop is. And if that's what you think hip-hop is, then you are most certainly miseducated and misinformed about what hip-hop is, because hip-hop is much broader than that. If you didn't catch the utteral and guttural voice that was up here talking about the pain and the hurt and the love and the community and the struggle to just exist, that's part of what hip-hop is about. And so you can go to Iraq right now and look up MC Iron Sheik, who's talking about the oppressive American government and the oppressive Iraqi government. And they're talking about these things. And the reason why places and uprisings that work is because, see, here in the United States, power is invisible. If I showed you some pictures right now of CEOs, who would you know who they even were? But in Iraq, Afghanistan, places like that, Egypt, 
hip-hop led the way because they exactly knew where these cats were at, and they were like, look, we ain't standing for this anymore. And so hip-hop is at the center of this, and so we can't, it's unavoidable anymore. And so what do we do? So we're between God and Kanye here. Yeah, I know, Kanye's an interesting person. Here's the thing, if you've written Kanye off as someone who is just big-headed and somebody who's just loud-mouthed and profane, shame on you, straight up. If you've judged somebody that quickly, right? Just by not even, even looking into their actual life, shame on you. But see how quickly we do some of those things? Kanye's much more of that. Now, yes, he is some of those things. That's not the sum total. Kanye and people like him, Kendrick Lamar, are often totemic representations of what this generation is seeking after, and that is a God that looks like them, speaks like them, talks like them, and that can connect with them. It's what Tupac and the Outlaws were after when they were saying, we're searching for black Jesus. A God that smokes like us, drinks like us, walks like us, talks like us. Whoa. A blunt smoking Jesus? Whoa. But come on, man. Jesus is hip-hop. Baby mama drama, came from the hood, police beat him down, one of his boys did him in, man, come on, man, that's hip-hop, man. Y'all tripping up in this mofo. And I said mofo, it's on tape. So let's talk about what the post-civil rights era is. First thing is the post-civil rights era is disconnected from previous generations. I had a young person one time tell me, yo, Dan, the beginning of hip-hop was dope. I said, yeah, I know, man, Care is one, you know. No, 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 man, I don't even know who them cats is, man. Shoot, Dr. Dre's chronic album, dude. I was like, what? Dr. Dre's chronic album. But see, the reality of it is, is that this generation, particularly those born after 1993, 1995, are disconnected from singular generations that had the ultimate voices like a Malcolm X or Martin Luther King. But all those people, like Tupac said, all those people are either dead in your, or in jail or were sent off, excommunicated from this country. They were asking with the civil rights movement. They were asking with the farm rights markers movement. So what do you think this generation is gonna do who looks back and sees that, right? Ask? I don't think so. So they're dis we're disconnected from historical context. But what else? We're developed and raised in a time of fear, doubt, ambiguity, ambiguity, and a changing Christian faith. Anybody born in the 2000s, which would mark my daughter, born in 2006, is born in an era at a time when Facebook is still in a pre-adolescent stage. Think about that for a second. And for those of us who are old enough to remember that, you know, VCRs were like the thing, and remember, you know, there were no remote controls and you had to call the operator at one point to actually make a long distance phone call. Yeah, what? You have to call the operator? What's the operator? Like, what? This generation is raised in a time of like, what are we doing? They're in a post 9-11 era. And in that era, and I think really the, the, the television series 24 captured it all, because in 24, it really made us look like, and when I talk about us, the Western world, look like just as bad as the enemy as we call Al-Qaeda. That's why I always say World War II, we will keep going back to World War II films. Because in World War II films, everything was a binary construct. It was either that or it was this. It was either black or it was white. Those were the enemies over there. We are the good people. And theology made sense in those times. 
Theology made sense because Christianity was about going out into the mission field to save those poor people over there. Now we're in an era where we're just as bad as ISIS in certain cases. Oh yeah, read those declassified FBI papers. I'm going to keep it PG for y'all today because I want to come back at some point. But read some of those declassified papers or take it up to the person, the off-duty police officer that just shot into a crowd and killed an African-American woman and now is found not guilty. Let's talk about that. So this generation is raised in that. This generation is an era where civil rights leaders are questioned and critically examined. The other night on, on Twitter, Sunday night, the Twitter world blew up once again. It's always blowing up about something, right? You know, but it was blowing up on this essay that Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, one of my mentors and heroes, wrote on Cornell West. Still going on. Woke up this morning, it was still going on. But civil rights leaders are saying, how much longer are we going to allow men to dominate this environment? What about transgendered and cisgendered and lesbian and gay voices? Where do they stand in this civil rights movement? Does the, does the extent of civil rights end at sexual orientation? I don't know, let, let you sit with that one for a minute, because I know that's a hot topic, right? People are getting fired over that. People are getting excommunicated over that. People or organizations are losing millions of dollars if they stand up and say, we are for the LGBTQ cis community. And so voices on Twitter, Twitter has given voices to many voices who would otherwise never be heard. And so in this era, the post-civil rights era, we have some work. So they're searching for God in a broader version of faith. And I don't think there's anybody in this room, but if this is you still handing out tracks to people, if you can take your foot off right now and like kick yourself and you're behind, do that right now. If you are still handing out, you know what my atheist friends tell me when you hand them a track? They're like, man, you just giving me something to recycle and throw away, man. Because there's no relationship or community in that. What is this? Jesus died on the, on the cross? Man, I just got back from East St. Louis and Ferguson. I mean, you try to go tell that mess to the place where Michael Brown was shot, bloodstains still on the concrete. As Tupac the prophet said so eloquently, it's kind of hard to be optimistic when your homie's lying dead on the pavement, twisted. Y'all don't hear me, though. I'm trying hard to make amends, but I'm losing all my mother friends. How long will they mourn me? Now let's create a theology around that. Let's create a theology that will actually begin to reach folks rather than subdue them. So let's get into this a little bit more. So Bakari Kitrana writes an amazing book called Why White Kids Love Hip Hop. I highly recommend you guys reading it because it really puts into perspective why some of the biggest consumers of hip hop right now are white suburban kids. And why somebody like an Eminem a Macklemore, and Lord help us, Iggy Azalea. I, mean, I, mm, mm, I wouldn't even want to go there. That's for a class at a later topic. But the social societal shift during the 1980s really turned everything on its ear. It was really the rise of popular culture. And popular culture, you got to think about it. MTV started in what, 1981? Back when it was actually MTV. Y'all remember MTV? You know, there was like one commercial. Now they have like what, one video every six months? You know what I'm saying? So all these reality shows, yeah, reality, all right. And I ain't gonna front though, I do watch some of the Kardashians. Shh, don't tell nobody, don't do me people. 
But the social societal shift during the 80s turned everything on its edge and people were just blown away like, wow, we can see a war happening right now. I can, I can see some of these things, because you gotta remember, Vietnam was one of the first transmediated wars that the country had ever seen. The country had never seen war. Again, World War II was always sending out positive images about the soldiers. Vietnam now, you got negative images. You got horrific images being, you got people's heads getting cut off, brains being blown out. And this is not all by the Vietnamese people, these are by US soldiers. So what is happening? Postmodern, post-soul shift. You know, post-modernity in a lot of black and brown circles is really like the F word. So Mark Anthony Neal and Nelson George have developed a term that actually fits us, ethnic minorities, a little bit better called post-soul. The soul generation with people like Marvin Gaye, Donnie Hathaway, Aretha Franklin, they was raised in the church. The post-soul generation was that they nursed on the womb of ambiguity, doubt, and a pop culture that seemed to be going everywhere and giving them every kind of opportunity to succeed except for black and brown folks. And so Ice Cube plainly says it, man, take a listen, what you're missing. Personally, I'm sick of the kissing. Turn off the radio. You want a free Africa, I stare at you. But we ain't got it too good in America. I can't mess with them overseas. My homeboy died over keys and cocaine. It was plain and simple. The nine millimeter went to the temple. And so artists like that started to stand up and say, yo, man, things ain't all merry the way we want to seem it to be. And so it's questioning of systems and institutions, including the church. It's also a loss of trust in societal structures. It's a loss of saying, I don't know if I can believe you just because you're a reverend, just because you're a doctor, right? And this generation says, I'm not falling for that. You know, I ain't going for that. You know, like Daryl Hall and John Oates, I ain't falling for that. I ain't got time for that, you know what I'm saying? I, 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 I can't get involved with that because at the end of the day, I've seen too often when an institution gets involved, things blow up. This thing in Ferguson is run, the real stuff in Ferguson is run by young 20-something-year-old activists doing stuff right now. Young people. Now, I get it. I ain't against Jesse Jackson and them cats, but them cats show up only when the cameras is around. And that stuff be co-opted in a minute. And so that stuff be blowing up on black Twitter. You don't know what black Twitter is, just look it up. It's on Wikipedia right now. You can look it up. I ain't got time. I got to keep on my time right now, all right? But straight up, these activists are young. They're motivated. They're from the post-soul, post-civil rights generation. Are we ready to engage them? Like my sister said, are we really ready to allow people to come in the way we want them to come in, or do we really want to dress them up first? Well, can you do this? Can you do that? I remember one time I was working at a church, multi-million dollar church. They had just built this brand new sanctuary that across the street was one of the, mo one of the biggest homeless encampments, you know, in the, in the city. And somebody had the, the bright idea, right, of saying, well, let's invite them over. And I was like, all right, well, go see how it goes. You know what I'm saying? It's a brand new, and sure enough, Sure enough, the first Sunday that the church doors were open, they're like, hey, can we, do we have to have these people here? People getting up and leaving again. Of course, people aren't going to come back. Who wants to come back to that? How many times has judgment worked on you? I'm just, I'm just saying. All right, let's keep going. Again, World War II, the last great and just war. That's why, again, we have, you know, a dozen films coming out, you know, next year alone on World War II. We don't want to deal with this stuff going on right now. Hip-hop talked about that, and of course the 90s media rise. We have some major, major shifts that make youth ministry very interesting. Now, let me break it down a little bit further. 
and then we're going to wrap it up. So relational engagement. So this is based off of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Here's the thing. Physiological and physical needs is a powerful thing. If I need to be able to figure out what's going on with this, can I deal physiologically? Can I deal physically? Can I even get in? Can I even make my way around? And then, of course, we got the issue of safety. Do I feel safe? Does the community feel safe? Can I actually manifest my own identity in this? And it's not even just physical safety, but also personal and spiritual safety. Can I share with you what is actually going on with me in my life right now? Or am I going to get put on the prayer list? And we all know what that prayer list is, right? They ain't the good one, right? It's like, mm-hmm, we knew about Sister Stones. I knew it all the time, mm -hmm. but that's not me. You know, that's, mm -hmm, no, Lord. Next one is love and belonging. Love and belonging, all right? And so this guy, gotta, I want to belong. This generation, man, wants to belong. They want to be put to work. Because you got to remember something. My old mentor, Bob Martin, God rest his soul, said it like this. People own that which they help build. People own that which they help build. If I ain't put no skin in the game, I don't care. So love and belonging. I want to be put to work. Then, of course, the next one is, of course, esteem. We have all kind of work on this. And then, of course, the last one, the very last one is self-conscious and spirituality. But here's where it gets tricky. So often, as overzealous ministers, right, and pastors, and all the nice little titles that come with degrees and everything, we want to start right here with somebody. Right? It's like my boy Ramal Toon says, man, we come and we just want to ear jock people. Yo, I got, I got the answer for you, man. Yo, pick them pants up, boy. You know, pick, pick, pick them braids out. You got to get a job. Speak right. You know, learn how to speak. And we, and we address behaviors and we try to give people the answers that their spirituality without ever really addressing things. It's like a church that says, I'm colorblind. We don't see any color. We, don't, we can't deal with the Trayvon thing. We can't deal with the Mike Brown. That's not us. That's not nobody in my, you know. But you got to remember, people in Congress, people, in, people who run this country actually claim Christianity. So why are we still having some of the problems that we have? Let's just think about that for a second. These cops that are shooting down our young black folks are actual claiming Christianity. You got to remember, Darren Wilson calls Mike Brown a demon. He spiritualizes the whole thing. George Zimmerman even said this was God's will for this to happen. Look at, look at the things that have happened and since I have killed Trayvon Martin. This is on a live interview. And we have to remember that the Ku Klux Klan was actually a state-endorsed group to maintain and keep black Republicans back in the late 18th, 19th century as the blacks were developing after the post-reformation after 1865. The red shirts and the Ku Klux Klan, these are state-sanctioned events based in Christianity. So let's just keep that in mind as we think about our faith and our history. So we want to start with that spirituality, but we've never even addressed my physiological, physical needs. I'm hungry, man. I don't know where my next meal is coming from, dude. Man. I may be mentally disabled. I may look great on the outside, but I have PTSD, man. I can snap. You know how it is. You know, you hey, Tyrone, can you pick up these things, man? You know, we're going to be heading up. I ain't picking it up, man. I ain't never. Y'all never get caring for me, man. People go from zero to 100 right away. It's part of PTSD. I had a young, older leader with me one time at camp. This was a few years ago. He was like 28, 29. It took six of us to restrain him because he thought somebody had stole something out of his wallet. 
Now, we had to work with him, but he come to find out, like, this brother has some serious PTSD. We got to get you some help, man. So before we can even begin to deal, we have to begin with the basic needs, physical, physio physiological, safety, love and belonging, esteem, and then we can start ta talking theological. Now, theology is happening through all of these. The gospel is happening, but you know all that old saying, at all times preach the gospel whenever necessary. Use what? Because here's the thing, Donald K. Smith lists out the 13 cultural signal systems that actually exist in a culture. And he lists them from least believable to the most believable, the most endorsed, most embraced. And at the top of that, the least believable, the least that you can actually connect with are words. And the most that you can connect with at the bottom that he has on the number 13 is, is, is actual behaviors and engagement. So we got to begin to think about that. So moving into a post-soul engagement, let's think about this and then I'm going to wrap up. This is my time. So I know I'm going to put this in kind of a modern way, kind of a stack, but keep in mind that these eras and these, these things that I'm about to bring up here, you can, you, can, you can revert back. So I just want to kind of make that little pretext statement here as we're thinking about this. I think everybody before you know God or before you, before you kind of come into some kind of awareness, you're in a state of kind of consciousness, this place of unawareness. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And most sociologists and psychologists call it, you know, that spiritual awakening, that moment when you kind of come into an era of consciousness and then you can become churched, right? And you start moving and grooving. You're like, I'm awake. I know. I can see it. I can see the light. And Barner Research has said that if you, when the point of conversion, that when a person is converted, if they're not put back to work within a year and a half to two years, that their entire world becomes normative. In other words, it becomes all Christian. So my challenge then there is, and how does that fulfill the Great Commission? The Great Commission says to go into all nations. That word in the Greek is ethnos. That's where we get the word ethnicity from. And that particular word actually commands us to go out into people who are different from us. Don't believe like us. Don't think like us. Don't act like us. Don't listen to the same music. Don't eat the same food. Don't even talk like us. Breath don't even smell the same way. Hair ain't even done the right way, right? That's what the Great Commission is calling us to do. But typically what happens at Juncture 3 is tradition begins to set in. And this, unfortunately, is where most people stay their entire daggone spiritual life. I just go to church, it's what we do. I like riding horses, but I can't stand trail horses. You know, they try to give you little signals, you know, turn this way. I like that. I want my horse to like try to buck me off. But, you know, I, my, I hope my horse is a little racist, you know what I'm saying? Like, get off me, man, get off me. That's what I want. I'm like, yeah, come on. But trail horses, they just, mm -hmm, just going over here. Yeah, I'm going to follow this butt right over here. Yeah, yeah we're going to go, yeah, we're going to stop here. All right, let me take mm, poop. All right, I'm going to go. Man, Jay, don't do nothing. This is the same way many of us do in church. We go to church, oh, those are great notes, I like that. Oh, that's, oh, Pastor so-and-so, oh, I'm going to go over here. Right? And you go about the right thing, and nothing ever freaking changes, yo. <laughs> nothing ever changes. But every now and then, you have what I like to call your Job moment. You ain't got it, just wait for a minute, it's coming. When things don't make sense, but you done hit the fan, you prayed, you fasted, you went on a sabbatical, a habbatical, a trabatical, all kind of baticals, and God's still not talking. And you enter the kind of the fourth junction, that is doubt. Everybody has doubt. I think doubt's essential to faith development, and especially in the development of young people. How do we nurture that doubt? 
Most in the church have said, no, 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 don't doubt, don't doubt. Because we, most church folk try to take you right back to juncture three. Well, just read your Bible more. I had a young brother in my office one time talking about he was struggling with sexuality. I was like, well, look, I know you go to the church. I know the pastor. I don't want to you know, interfere with anything. What does your pastor say to do, man? He just told me to read my Bible. I said, well, did, did it help? He said, no, nah, man, I had an erection all on lamentation. I don't know what was going on, man. I'm like, all right, let's, let's talk about some practical things. Don't put the Bible on your erection anymore. I can't believe you told me that right now. But seriously, man, I'm serious, a heart attack and diarrhea. How do we actually begin to engage people with where they're at in their doubt? Because see, here's the thing, though. Most of us have been taught, particularly those of us who went to seminary, have been taught to fix things. That's the Western world. We want to fix things. We want to do things with duct tape. We want to tick it up. So when you're telling me about your deep hurt, I can, I can only imagine how many people in here were thinking, listening to some of this spoken word, saying, oh, I could fix that if you just did this, and you know, if you just did that. Here's the thing, and this is like marriage family therapy 101, right? When you begin to, when somebody is sharing deeply, and, and, and you're telling them, and when you think about this, it really means you are not listening and that you actually know better than them. That puts people on the defense. Because we can begin to kind of wrestle with this a little bit more, we enter into juncture five, and that is the mystery of what God is actually doing. One of my favorite philosophers, Friedrich Nietzsche, said, God is dead. And in the modern era, we killed God off because we explain everything away with answers. I no longer need to know how far the moon is from the earth because I have that mathematical equation already. I already know what the cosmos is made of. I already know what the grass is made of. I understand what the oxygen elements are here. So why do we need God? There is no reason for God. There is no mystery. There is no higher understanding of what God is up to. Because I say the last juncture is really this enlightenment of what God is really trying to do in somebody's life. In that level that Pablo Freire is talking about, that area that we're kind of learning together, that for me is ministry. That for me is the consciente, the, 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 this consciousness that Pablo Freire talks about in the Pedagogy of the Press. If you have not read that book, you must take it out right now and check it and read it right now. And this level, this top down that I'm the pastor, I know better than you, is past. We done with that. How can I get in the boat with you and share? You know what, man? I got some needs in here. I got some special needs too. Yo, this is what I'm addicted to. Yo, this is what I'm struggling with. Because students today want you to be transparent. But they'll sniff you out in a second, yo. Yo, they'll sniff you out. They'll look at you and you'll be looking at them like, you know, if you try to, well, you know. Because, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. We always talk about the stuff we used to do like 20, 30 years ago. Oh, man, when I was a kid. Dude, you like 92 years old, man. You was a kid a long time ago. Like, what the hell, man? I can't don't connect with me. So my challenge for us today is to develop relationships in the doubt, the mystery, and in the enlightenment of who God is, what God wants us to do, and what God is calling us to. That's my challenge. Can we really do that? Can we better begin to understand what God has in store for this generation? Can we better understand what God has in store for you in this day and age? And so as, we, as I close out here, I just, want, again, want to encourage you as you're moving forward. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, no one has it figured out. And the people who do, run. There is no book or DVD series that can just give you all the answers. 
I'll put, put my writings up in there right away. And, and I said that at the beginning of most of my book, this is not a sum all total of how to reach the generations. All right, we learned that. We got that in 1990, right? Tony Robbins, all that stuff. Mm, I don't know. I want to leave you with this last story, and then, and then I'm going to be gone. So in 1996, at the uh, inaugural address of uh, then Bill Clinton, uh, going into the, you know, the, you know, the 20th, 21st century, uh, a reporter saw Billy Graham and uh, ran up to Billy Graham and said, yo, yo, Billy, 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 brother, how can you be sitting up in here? This man over here lied to the nation, cheated on his wife, he up in here, I mean, who knows how many women he got, and y'all, are you this religious, spiritual man sitting up in here? And Billy said something I want to leave with you today. I don't always agree with Billy's theology, and dang sure don't agree with what Franklin Graham put out. But I want to leave you with this note because I do think you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater with everything. And he said it like this. He said, you know what? It's God's job to judge, the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and my job to love. I'm here doing my job. God's job to judge, Holy Spirit's job to convict, in my job to love. I just want to ask us, are we doing our job to love? Let me pray for y'all. Mother God, we thank you for what you have brought to us. We thank you for giving us life and for creating us in your image. But God, there is some madness going on right now. Just in the city of Chicago alone, we have the highest number of stop and frisk stops in the country, God. Lord, we need your help. We need you to speak. We need you to act. We need you to empower us. We need you to give us direction. I pray for every soul, every heart, every mind, every ministry, every organization, every family represented here. And I ask that you bless us. Help us to live in that doubt and in that mystery so that you will give us some enlightenment and help us to do our job to love. In your name we pray, amen. The contents of this podcast episode are reproduced by permission of the presenter and Faith Forward under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivations copyright. The Faith Forward podcasts are produced by Dave Sinis. Please stay tuned for more episodes of the Faith Forward 2015 podcast series on the web at faith-forward.net and join the movement at the 2016 Faith Forward Gathering, April 18th through 21st in Chicago.